Let's pray, and then we'll jump into Philippians chapter 1. We'll finish 1 and turn into 2. Uh, Father God, I ask right now in the next few minutes that as we read your word, uh, that Father, you would teach us. And, and as we're dwelling on these passages in this letter that Paul's sending to this church, I, I pray that you will just speak through his words into our lives and give us a word of encouragement, uh, Father, a word of instruction, uh, maybe a little hope that we need in the moment. Uh, so, Father, as we wrap up chapter 1 and, and move into chapter 2, I, I just pray that you will, your spirit would fall on us and we would uh, leave this room better than when we came in, uh, filled with your spirit and ready to serve you in our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we have the beginning, and, and I, don't, I, I think tonight I'm not going to start in verse 1 because we just want to focus on this section. But Paul writes to this church, and he shares with them his situation, giving them encouragement and reminding them there's opposition, but to remain focused on what really matters, and that's the gospel, the gospel message. And, and we, we hear that reiterated. Even in his position of being in prison... Paul's still focused on the kingdom, and he's encouraging them to do the same, to do the same. So as we, as we wrap up chapter 1 and, and look at verse 27, uh, we're going to be reminded that we have a life that's worth living. And he's going to kind of narrow that focus of what our life should look like and how we should live, both as individuals and as the church. So look with me at verse 27. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, that's something we need to remember, citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in the faith, standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Um, okay, let's do the whole section. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them. We like to hear those verses, don't we? But of your salvation. And this is from God. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, we don't, we don't like to hear those verses. But also to suffer for him. Verse 30. Since you are engaged... In the same struggle that you saw that I had and now hear that I have. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love united in one spirit intent on one purpose. Verse 3 and 4 we're familiar with as we transition into this focus on Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not on his own interests, but also, or rather, the interests of others. So let's back up and look at verse 27. Just one thing. Paul reminds the church at Philippi, that they are citizens of which kingdom? Heaven. Citizens of heaven. And Paul here is challenging them to walk, 
to live a wor worthy of the gospel, live their lives worthy of the gospel. He's imploring them not just to talk, but also to walk. Now think about this. And as we look back at the passages previously that we studied, and we think about the opposition that we had. There was a lot of talk going on. There were a lot of rivals to Paul that was preaching the gospel. And there's just a lot of jawing taking place. We know what that sounds like, don't we? A lot of talk back and forth, one way or the other. Paul's experiencing this. He's sharing this, and he's reminding the church, one thing that matters, that you are a citizen of heaven, so live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know what, I've had, I've had to leave my phone out of this room because Siri loves to respond to me. So it's just, it's my life now. Sometimes Rachel will text me, and I'm like, you know that when I'm in the sanctuary, I don't have any, I didn't even bring my iPad tonight. I just can't let Siri interject into church. Now think about this. Paul says, as citizens of heaven. Remember what we talked about when we discussed the city of Philippi? The city, what kind of city was it Philippi connected with? Rome, right? And they loved, the citizens of Philippi loved their connection to Rome because it made them Roman citizens. I mean, just the, the way the city was patterned after Rome. It was just like a little Rome. And the citizenship afforded by uh, being a citizen, not just of Philippi, but Rome, made all the difference in their lives. But Paul's reminding the believers in Philippi that they're not citizens of Rome. They're citizens of heaven. I think we could take that to heart today. Like, we have pride in our country, and we love and we're privileged, honestly, to live where we live. But we're not citizens of the United States. We're citizens of heaven. That changed when we trusted in Christ as our Savior. So that pride that was associated with Rome really led people astray. And he's reminding the church that they're citizens of heaven and their focus should be on advancing the gospel of the kingdom of God. Why? Why should that be their focus? Because it has changed their lives how they live, how they acted. And then Paul here is, is going throughout this whole section. He's detailing how to live your life worthy of the gospel and not just do it alone, but doing it together. And these themes of unity just circle throughout this section of Scripture. And we find the truth that the gospel binds people together. It's all about being together. I'll hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Paul's challenging them to live life together. That word standing, standing firm. So I'll hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit. That word standing is, is kind of a military term used for those that are holding their ground. So if you think about it in that light, Paul's reminding them that they're engaging in warfare every day, and their task is to fight the battle, advance the gospel. I think there's so many times where we wake up on the defensive, 
and we're not sure what happened. Uh, case in point, last night I was wiped out. Wiped out. And when I laid my head on the pillow, I was gone. And about, I don't know how long, because it's like an eternity for me, because it was probably like two minutes, but I felt like it was 30. Rachel starts hitting me. She's like, I heard something. Go check it out. And I sat up, and I said, it'll be all right. And I laid back down and went to sleep. And that wasn't, I shouldn't have done that, Landon, should I? No, I should have checked it out. I got up this morning, and I found out that there was a guy in a truck driving through our neighborhood dumping out furniture in people's yards. So that noise that she heard last night was a desk being dumped in our front yard. So it was interesting. But Paul is saying you need to stand firm and advance the gospel. Hold your ground and don't be caught lulled asleep. You have a task to accomplish together. And you need to engage in this warfare to advance the gospel. That word contending, contending together for the faith, it, it, it kind of brings to mind these athletic events, the arena games that they're so familiar with. And Paul really, is, is really pushing the listener toward, toward a couple of keys that they need to remember. As they live worthy, he's trying to get them to understand that they have to engage in battle together. Together, as a church, as a community, they can engage in warfare to advance the gospel together. You don't do it alone. And that's true today. And unfortunately, too many of us try to go it alone, don't we? We don't want to share our problems, our struggles. We're, we're an independent people. And Paul's reminding us here that, you know what, this battle that we're waging, this life that we're living, we're not meant to do it alone. We're called to do it together. And that's something that we've got to understand as a church moving forward. And I know y'all are the people that are here on Wednesday night right now, so it, I'm, I'm not really talking to you. But it's important for our people to come to church because they need to understand that they're not in this alone. Like, we're in this together, and we need everyone together to engage in this battle. And we should fight alongside one another, not against one another. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because some, we often get preoccupied with our own fights and our own battles. We hear about Christians and churches and denominations, religious groups that have so much infighting that they don't really accomplish the goal of furthering the gospel. And Paul is just telling us here in these words, standing firm in one spirit with one accord to con contending together, that we're, we're to be united in the gospel and united for the gospel to fight the good fight together. We're not on our own. So let's unite and work together. Look at verse 28. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This word frightened, it's like a startled horse. You ever been around a startled horse? Not something you want to really be around. You know, the truth is, and I, we all know this because we've experienced it. Conflict's going to happen, right? You're, you're going to experience conflict in your life. The funny thing is, is I think we can all agree that it'll happen, but when it does happen, how many of us are surprised? Like we're caught off guard. It, we do from time to time. We're like, I can't believe that happened. 
I can't believe he lost his cool there. I can't believe we had that issue. And Paul's saying, don't be frightened in any way by your opponents. When opposition comes your way, when conflict occurs, when you find yourself startled, you need to ask yourself the question, why are you so surprised? The truth is we should take comfort because God will handle things, right? I mean, look, at this is a sign of destruction for them. When that conflict arises and when you are focused on the gospel and advancing the gospel, conflict is going to come up. In, in reality, we should rejoice because it's a sign of destruction for our enemy, but for salvation for us. Guys, we've got to remember that the opponent in this world, the struggle that we fight against, that sin nature that you deal with in your life, even that secret struggle that you have, depression, anxiety, whatever it is that keeps you up at night, like that, that's not going to gain the victory in the end. Like God's going to reign and your faith will win. So don't be frightened when it happens. But be encouraged. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And then Paul says, you know the struggle that I've experienced, and now you're experiencing it too. You know, the reality is salvation's a gift. And we love that gift, don't we? But so is suffering. Suffering is also a gift. And again, sometimes we're surprised or frightened when it happens. When we should never be, because Jesus said, the world hated me. What do you think the world's going to do to you? Why are we surprised? Our call is to follow Jesus and suffer for his sake. And that's a privilege and an honor for the believer. I love this commentator that shared a few comments on this verse. I think it hits home, especially in America. For you have been granted on Christ's behalf, not just to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. You know, the believer, we're not called... To the recliner, are we? But how many of us love to sit in it? We do, don't we? The truth is, suffering is not a sign of abandonment. It's a sign that Jesus is with us. Actually, Jesus is in us. And remember, at the beginning of chapter 1, we have that back and forth about Christ in us and Christ with us, Christ around us, all this. We talked about that with St. Patrick, last week, incredible verse. Now Paul transitioned as he begins chapter 2 and looks at unity. And he sets his mind on unity, not just um, with the body, but with the community. In verse 1, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, this if that we see repeated how many times in verse 1? Four times, right? Four times in verse 1 we see if. If is not a possibility. It's not like if this happens. It might happen. This if that Paul's referring to is a certainty. 
He's saying this is what's going to happen. If there is any encouragement in Christ, is anything more encouraging to know that Christ lives in you? There shouldn't be. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, is there any love in this world that can comfort you more than the love of Jesus? Shouldn't be. And I would argue you, you don't know what love is until you experience the love of Christ. If any consolation of love, if that certainty of fellowship with the Spirit, there's nothing sweeter than that shared fellowship, right? With the Spirit. If any affection and mercy, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Here's the unity. Think the same way, have the same love, unite in one spirit, intent on one purpose. Here, unity is found when people adopt the same mentality. One people united for one purpose. Where their identity and their mission rests in one place. It's on the gospel. The goal is striving together for the faith of the gospel. Make my joy complete. Think about that. Nothing gives Paul greater joy than knowing that this church has the same love, is united in one spirit and intent on one purpose. So how does that flesh out in their lives? Verses 3 and 4 tell us as we slide into this description or depiction of Christ. And we'll look at that next week. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Conceit here, vainglory is what the word is talking about, a glory that is empty, that is non-existent. It doesn't matter in the end. Instead, Paul is calling the believers to walk in humility. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. In truth, unity cannot be found apart from humility. And if we're going to be truly unified, whether it's a couple in their love relationship, whether it's a church in their corporate body, we cannot find true unity without humility. So Paul is sharing the importance of fighting against opposition, how to walk the daily walk, how to follow Jesus here in this section. And if we look back at, at chapter 1, we see this description of the situation and his condition and what matters only is the gospel. And kind of snaps them in in verse 27, remind reminding them that where their citizenship rests and how they should live as individuals and as a church community, how they should anticipate suffering and opposition, and how that is a blessing in their lives, and then turns their attention to Jesus and what He provides and how we should live. So He tells them, Humility is the key to your unity, and I'm going to show you how that is practiced in verses 5 and following. And there's some things that we can ask ourselves as we close tonight. Things like, are we caring for the needs of other people? Do we listen 
Are you concerned about others? Are you prepared for opposition to come your way? Are you standing firm or holding your ground in the faith? It's all questions that we could pull out of this text. Are we focused on the unity within our homes, within our families, within the church body? Do we count it joy when we experience suffering since Christ experienced the same thing? And what is our focus, our motivation every day? Is it for our own glory, that conceit, that vainglory that's non-existent, that's here today and gone tomorrow? Or are we going to walk in humility that will be fleshed out next week? So I encourage you, if you have... If you haven't memorized this section, I encourage you to do that at the end of this week and then turn your eyes to chapter 2. Next week we're going to look at verses 5 through 11 and this incredible section of Christ's example. So let me pray for you and then we'll close out tonight and transition on to what's next. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for the day that you've given us and the chance we have to come into your house and to learn more about you. Father, I pray that as we engage the world and we see the struggle and the frustration, Father, all the opposition to your kingdom, remind us every day to not be surprised but to be ready. And to set our minds on fighting for unity in our homes and in our churches. And fixing our eyes on the gospel. And as we'll look at next week, begin to pattern our lives after Jesus. So, Father, again, I thank you for Paul's words and how they're impacting our lives today. I pray that they would go with us. And then this wouldn't be just a, a brief time of study one time a week, but just a, a habit that develops as we just meditate and allow your words to just soak into our hearts and your spirit to speak through those as we engage with others throughout the week. So, Father, go with us and don't leave us alone. Remind us that we're in this together. In your son's name we pray. Amen.